0: We wanna love like you, love like you, love because you first love us. We wanna love like
1: you, love like you, love because you first love us. Oh you first. We are going to be in the Sermon on the Mount looking at the first petition of the Lord's Prayer because it talks about the fatherhood of God. And uh, focusing mainly on just that prayer, I'm going to read a little bit of the context and also read a section of the Old Testament that tells us the name of God and how uh, folks thought about the name of God in the Old Testament. And so this is God's word to you today. This is what it says in Matthew six, verses seven through nine. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words and do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then it says this in Exodus 34 verses 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and that him was Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. It's our practice here to spend some moments in silence before we engage in the act of a sermon. And the, the way that we do that here is a lot of times in America and in other parts of the church, you, you kind of like uh, pedestal a person and listen to that person speak. And that is the act of preaching. But one of the practices of the church has always been to engage in prayer together And so that this is a communal event that you are engaging in the text and the Holy Spirit illumines the text for the hearts of all who listen to God's word, whether you're preaching or listening. And so when we pray and we spend some moments in silence before I preach, what we're all asking together is that God would show us himself and that you're very much a part of that, that we're engaged in that together. And so uh, don't disengage when I pray. Pray with me. You pray silently. I'll pray with the mic. And what we're asking is that God would reveal himself to be a father to us, the transcendent father of all eternity. Um, So quite a big prayer. Let's pray. Father, you take. Constantly, You take normal things uh, like water, uh, like fatherhood, like motherhood, like children, like bread and wine and and you inhabit those things in such a real and also heavenly way. And we sense that even within ourselves, that we have souls, that we have uh, an, e- an eternal aspect of us that will continue on and on and on for forever, for trillions and trillions of years, and so much of our lives are focused on the here and now, and we get, we get lost in um, everything that's very, very present to, to our emotions and, and to our senses, but Lord, you have, you have spoken to your people throughout the ages that our, our heart's deepest desire is to bless you, is for our soul to magnify you which is what we've sung, which is what we've read. And so as we think about this first petition of the Lord's Prayer, that that we would be housed underneath your sovereign care as a good father, as one who is tender towards us, as one whom we don't have to hide from anymore because of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Um, Everyone in life deals with communication breakdown. Uh, Within communication, there's a there's a root word commune, and we're all thinking about community right now, not only in the church, but like in the whole world, like what's happening to our communities? Why are they so fractured? Why are they so hard to to hold together? And, you know, the things that we seem to intrinsically be made for, you know, healthy community with honest dialogue seem to be so very difficult at times, so very challenging. And many times we dismiss this as like uh, awkward social settings or we're on technology too much or it's just not clicking with this person or a group of people. But the scriptures are incredibly insightful about human beings if we just pay attention to it and really give ourselves to it. And the scriptures tell us that every human being that's ever lived, besides one, that we're all experts at hiding that that's what we do in our natural way of communicating. We like to hide from each other and from God. And this is one of the greatest things about marriage. You know, you can't hide for very long if you're married because usually laziness takes over. <laughs> um, and the the spouse has to eventually see, you're, you know, you're just like, I can't, I can't keep this up. I can't keep the facade up, um, which is typically what dating involves. Uh, and you, you just got to say to your spouse, like, please... Please be gentle. You can see my flaws. And what, what happens is that if you stick it out with another person, you eventually can become so close with that person. And some of you married people know this, like they can give you a look and you know exactly what that look means. They don't even have to say it verbally. You know, the the seamlessness of how you communicate uh, can be beautiful if you stick with a person over The years. And so part of the root of community is lots and lots of unplanned familial vulnerability. And this is where, you know, we got to figure that out as we move into the future because we're all so transient, also mobile, also very, very, very busy. But the reason why this is important. This familial vulnerability that's unplanned is that this is exactly how God wants to relate to you. He wants to be your father. He wants to have that sort of intimacy that you have within a family that is uh, both comfortable and loving and challenging. Now, to the first century Jewish person, they had turned a would-be intimate relationship in with God into a list of rules, the Torah. And Jesus is addressing that in the context of the Lord's prayer. And the Greeks, uh, they use prayer to kind of persuade the gods. They heaped up a bunch of phrases to try to get the favor of, of the gods in their culture. And what Jesus is doing here, as well as the entire Sermon on the Mount, is that he's saying it's more than just about what you're doing or not doing. But it's about the motivations behind your actions and behind your words and how you communicate. Why are you doing what you're doing? And there, for instance, there, there is a way uh, to spend time with somebody that is goal oriented. And then there's a way to spend time with somebody because you simply enjoy them. And the way that you communicate with another person, verbally and nonverbally, will let that person know. People can feel it. And God knows. And how you relate to Him and how you speak to Him. Now, today we're going like anytime people hear the word prayer, it's like immediate go to sleep, you know, shut off brain, right? Um, but think of prayer in terms of community. And how you communicate with other people in the transcendent, the spiritual realm, or if you're a Christian, God. And what we're going to talk about today is that prayer is is communal. It's a collision and it is praise. And so point one, prayer is communal. Let's look at that first word in the Lord's Prayer. It says our, our father, Uh, the way that we relate to God is not just on an individual level. It was intentional that Jesus didn't say, uh, my father, that is included within how you can pray, but he starts by saying, our father, and the reason why is because you uh, worship with other folks because you don't belong to yourself. The reason why is because God, the image that you have in you, is a community in and of himself. And so to try to do life alone by yourself makes you feel disintegrated from yourself because you were made for community. And that's part of why we're baptized into the Trinity, because we are baptized into a community. And on top of that, we we also need each other. Every single one of us needs other people in our lives because we come into this world with rough edges or um, particular ways of hiding. And that needs to be knocked off by the holy community housed in the Trinity. Now, I've used this illustration before, but if you've ever heard an orchestra tuning, I mean, it's terrible. You know, Jocelyn's played, uh, like, you know, with other people and big orchestras, and it just sounds absolutely uh, chaotic. But when everyone is in tune... It sounds amazing. And community functions in the same way. It has major potential for chaos if everyone is doing their own thing. But if everyone is in tune, it's actually more beautiful than if you were kind of like a lone person. But communing with each other and God takes practice and we're not used to it. But that doesn't mean it can't be done. And we need to have imagination here as we think about the future. When we see that we're not just individuals, but we're connected to the whole, what the scriptures talk about is that that can actually be a, uh, what's called a kaleidoscope of grace. In 1 Peter 4, it says, Hey, y'all, you need to make sure that you stay sober minded, don't get drunk, uh, and self controlled for the sake of your prayers. Which is interesting, right? And it says, Because. When each has received a gift, you are to use that gift for the sake of the whole so that people can see God's varied grace. Isn't that fascinating? That when we bring the thing that we are gifted with and we see it as part of the whole, what begins to be seen is a mural of the gospel. It's a mural of Jesus. That's why we are our, he says, say our father. Prayer is communal in that we talk to the one who knows us best of all. You remember what Adam and Eve were doing in the Garden of Eden. They were walking with him every evening. They were simply with him. You know how hard it is just to simply be with somebody sometimes? And yet, how easy? It's challenging to be with people, and yet, absolutely essential for what it means to be a human being. Dr. John Cox, down in uh, Mississippi, he calls this the healing of withness. So, some of you have maybe experienced this like you're crying. Because of something hard in your life, and somebody comes and like just puts a hand on your shoulder, and like somehow, like it that makes it better, you know. Why is that the case? It's because you weren't made to be alone, or you share something that you're deeply kind of maybe ashamed of, and you don't want other people to know, and somebody looks at you when you share that aspect of yourself, and they say, Me too. The reason why that feels right when somebody is in that with you is because we were made to be open and vulnerable with one another. And the most formative relationships that we have, like family relationships, are supposed to be the safest and strongest for the development of how we move through a broken world. This is what the Garden of Eden was like. They were walking with God. They weren't ashamed. They were so free that they didn't have to wear clothes. And they were just with God. And they knew that God enjoyed them. And that it was okay for them to just be completely open and vulnerable. And when that was broken, our concept of what was safe and strong underneath the fatherhood of God and in the presence of other people got disintegrated and it shattered and some of us know what that shattering feels like. And all of us know what it feels like at some level. To not know how to be at peace in the presence of other people. To not know how to be at peace in the presence of God. Now, this is the reason why Jesus tells us to pray this. This is not the end of the story for human beings. Uh, Henry Light, who's a hymn writer, um, he wrote the hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. And he, uh, his mother died when he was five. And his, da- his dad just couldn't do it. He couldn't raise him. And so he dropped him off at an orphanage and he never heard from his dad again. And Henry Light writes this hymn where he has this phrase. He says, you know, you know what God's like? He's father like he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. Now, just think about like think about his story. He had no earthly experience of a father that was tender. Where do you think he got that from? The scriptures. And the church. That Jesus can actually redeem what's been what's been broken. And that's why he says you call him, y'all call him father, call him father, no matter what your past is. Uh, I wanted to I got permission from my friend, uh, Chris. He lives in Winston-Salem to share some of his story, but he was raised by a single mother and his dad was predominantly disinterested in him. And his dad has said things to him that you just it takes a lifetime to recover from certain words, terrible things. And yet I wish everyone had the great privilege to see my friend Chris with his three girls. Um, he's in a he's in a pastor's cohort like support group that I'm in. And every single one of the other pastors, when we observe him and his family, being a father, we're like, Man, like, how how are you doing that? Like, like, you just seem so present and engaged and free with your girls. And we're like, can you, like, teach us how to do that? Because we don't know. Uh, You're a really, really, really good dad. And he said is very fascinating. He said, you know, the way that most people think about or talk about church that I've heard or worship is that's how I think about being a father. He said that it's a it's a holy act to me because everything is always new and fresh because I don't know what it was like growing up. He's like, I learned how how to be a father through families and churches. They would invite me in. They would have meals and I'd be like, oh, so like that's how a dad interacts with his family. Like, that's really cool. And he learned he learned how to be a father. Through the church when he had no concept of what that was like in his upbringing, in his experience. Now, here's the point. When you couple the pain in your life with the gospel and the community of grace. You can be most full and present to the world where you have been most wounded. That he he in some sense, because of his brokenness. And not like it's a comparison game, but he, he's like a, a better father than like normal fathers because he's so, so he, he thinks it's holy and it's very new to him. And if you didn't have a, a great father growing up or you don't feel like you're a good dad now, don't give up like that's why Jesus came. That's the whole point. And what Jesus is saying here. And I think this is the the very deep thing that's going on in the first petition. I think Jesus is saying here that, that, look, I've paid the way back to where you belong in communion with your heavenly father, which is where your soul deeply knows it needs to be. And that communion is like a it's like a whisper of something that your great, great grandparents had. And it reminds you of something that you've actually never experienced, but you know is true that God's your father and that he enjoys you even when other people don't. Point one, prayer is communal. Point two, prayer is a collision. In the Lord's prayer, the familiar collides with the otherworldly. The everyday collides with the transcendent. Um, So back to the word father, to, to call God father to the first century Jew was a bit presumptuous. Um, Psalm 103, what we read in the call to worship, is is one of the only places in the Old Testament where a human being is supposed to call God Father. And if you if you have talked to Orthodox Jews even today, a lot of times they'll call God Hashem, which just means the name. And the reason why is because translators throughout the years would not... Every every time you see the word Lord in the Bible, that's the name Yahweh. And the reason why it's translated like that is because translators wanted to be so reverent about God's name because they didn't want to mess it up. And so think about the Jews here. Can you imagine what they must have been thinking when they heard Jesus say, This is how you begin your prayer. Our Father. He says that this would would have been Abba in Aramaic or Pater in Greek. But both of those words are very, very common words, not necessarily special. They were just every day. And Jesus says, yeah, y'all go ahead and do it. Now, you may have um, you may have pet names for your people, you know, in your family. Right. Babe, you know, Sugar Plum, Schnookums. Don't lie to me. Um, if, If somebody if somebody like called your wife. Or your husband, like that name, you'd be like, that's not, you can't say that. Um, that's what I say. And that, that's how the, the Jews felt entitled to God and how they related to Him. And, and they were to a certain extent because they, they were the, the first representative group, but it was they were to put, supposed to be a picture of what all of humanity was to be like in the presence of God. That's why, if you're, if you're of non Jewish descent, that's why we're here today. Because Jesus opened that up to different cultures. This is the thing that is going to collide in the New Testament that was so, so hard for them to deal with. A collision of cultures, Greek and Jew. Underneath the fatherhood of God. This is what was going to bind humanity together. And this is what it means to be the family of God with all of your differences with all of your cultural baggage, with all of your past story. And Jesus refers to God as father in heaven. And this is what separates the religious prayers of the day and the pagan prayers of the day from the disciples prayer. This means that something outside of the world is expressed in intimate terms such as father. And this is what every single marketing scheme is trying to get at. Like if you brush your teeth with this toothpaste, you're going to be transcendent. Everyone's going to like you. You know, this is what marketing is trying to communicate, that this product is going to transcend time and space. And communion that is both transcendent and familiar is what we're all after. And Jesus is saying that through prayer, God has opened that path up to anyone who desires it. And nothing balances those two realms like Christianity one either says you've got to do away with the material and the earthly and what matters is the spiritual and the heavenly realm. And the other approach says that this is all that there is in the material world. So soak it up while you can. And Jesus says it's actually both all the time. Because you have a father in heaven and he's uniting heaven and earth. And he'll kind of do that theme or play that theme out throughout the Lord's prayer And uh, I I do want to say something to the fathers in the room today as I've thought about, you know, God being God being our father. And and as I've experienced what it's like to have an earthly father in my own life, you know, you know what your children need most of all, if you're a dad. And this doesn't just apply to fathers. But if you're a dad in the room, uh, yes, your children need you to own. Your sin or the ways in which you failed. They need us to recognize our sin when we've been called out. But more. And after sin has been owned. Do you know that your children can sense what God is like through you? That they pick it up. And do you know what God is like? Like his love is relentless. His love is never ending. And, you know, the older I get, and as I've listened to my dad talk, as I've, as I've listened to other dads talk, I find one of the things that I need most of all as a child and a man is that I need my earthly father's approval. I need it. I need him to tell me that I love you. I don't need him to be an expert in anything. I don't need him to own all of the stuff. And if I have my earthly father's approval, literally, it's worth like thousands of hours of counseling is what I've learned. Now, just imagine what it's like when we're going to get our heavenly father's approval. If that's just a small glimmer of what can set you free in this life. Again, uh, after we've owned sin, I, I, I told my dad, like, I don't I don't need you to talk about your lack. What I need is God's confidence and his love o- over him so much so that he can give it to me. And I'm like, dude, you, you possess so much power over my life just intrinsically, just because of your role. And if you're a dad in here, do not underestimate the power that you have over your children's hearts. Whether they're babies or adults, it matters how you show up. And if you're a mom, too, or a child, it matters how we all show up. And of course, we fail, but what children need most of all from you <laughs> is for you to experience God's love in its fullness yourself, and then you pour that gospel love from heaven into your children with confidence because it's true. That's where the collision of heaven and earth can have its most formative impact on a human being. In the home. In the family. And you may say, well, like, what about those people that didn't have a dad? That's where the church and scripture come in. Like our our friend Chris, like our friend Henry Light, like many in this room who have been adopted. God really does care for the fatherless. And if you're a father right now and you're already going down the road of guilt and shame, you're, you're not hearing me. You have God's image, whether you want it or not. How do you want Jesus to inform how you use it? Third point, prayer is praise. The word in English, hallowed, it, that's an old school word. But most of the English Bibles, uh, you know, the the idea idea is that of holiness or in Hebrew, it's the word Kadesh. It literally means to be set apart, not to be commonly used with everything else. And it's the name of God that's supposed to be hallowed or set apart as holy. Now, what does that even mean? Um, If if you hear the, the term, this is an old school example. But one commentator said if you hear the term Rolls Royce. You know, what do you, what do you think of? Our more common example would be like Tesla, you know, um, perfect car, perfect seats, perfect steering. Well, if you want to think about God's name or his, his brand, if you will, what is your mind supposed to conjure up? Like, where is your mind supposed to go? If, if we even do that with brands that are earthly, when you think of God's name, what are you supposed to be thinking of? You're supposed to be thinking of. The absolute perfect wisdom and mercy and justice and love. Now, setting something apart as holy needs to be in your framework by by you asking the question, I wonder what I set apart as holy. And you can know this by answering a few questions What's the most determinative fact to your existence? What makes your life make sense? What dictates what you do and say every day? And answering those questions, you know, yeah, I mean, you probably say a lot of things. Well, like I go to work to provide, I, I eat because I'm hungry. But I'm asking you to think a, a little bit deeper than that. Where, where does your mind go when you don't have anything else to think about? Or like if you wake up in the middle of the night, like what, what are you thinking about? What kind keeps of you, keeps you up at night? And when you begin to answer those questions, you'll begin to find out what you've set apart as holy in your own life, what you've hallowed. And it could be, you know, alone time, it could be coffee, it could be a substance, it could be money, it could be comfort. And that, those things are like a whisper to us now. But when they're taken away, we throw a tantrum. And that's just the surface stuff. And I think for most of us, the blatant thing in our lives that we have set apart is, is not God's name, but it's our own. And here's how I know this. Here's how I've experienced this. Um, When somebody says something about your character. When somebody critiques you. when When somebody says something about your name. How do you respond? You know, if it demolishes you, if. If you can't think straight for a week, if you can't go to sleep, what that means is that in your own life, your own name, your own performance, your own enoughness is what you've hallowed. That's why you can't take it. That's why we we cannot sit in the midst of somebody saying, look, work on this like you need to change. And it's because we've made our life about us. In our own name. And Jesus says, Look, we all do it. Don't go to guilt right now. We all do it. This is what you do in the midst of that. Think about God's name. Shift that focus to God's name. This is why Jesus came. The gospel says turn that emphasis of your entire life off of yourself and onto God and meditate on Him. Give your identity to Him make his identity your identity and it will change everything when you're little when you're old you'll never get over it. that you have his brand on you and that brand is perfect now the reason why i included the that passage in exodus is because I want you to hear God's name. This is how the Jewish people would have thought about God's name, that the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love and mercy and forgives trespassers, but will by no means clear the guilty. And within God's name, you have both justice and mercy completely upheld. And the reason why Jesus can tell other people to say, you call God Father, is because Jesus knew that at the cross he was going to become fatherless he was going to be abandoned by his father you know how hard that is when you, when you can't do anything for your child this is what god the father did so you know why so that he could have you that's why he can be forever merciful and forever just so that he could include you into his family Which is where you belong in the presence of your father in perfect communion and communication with the one who made us. Now, if you believe that, how do you think that that would change how you interacted with God and other people? The point is, until you see Jesus hanging on the cross for you, you're not going to love God. You won't even like him. And you'll continue to think that you have to praise God by being good Or you rebel when you can't keep that up. And you'll know that this is at play in your life. If you keep bouncing back and forth between shame and anger. And you're like, I can't stop feeling terrible. Or I can't stop being angry. And God says, why don't you try on my son for a change? And be free in him. Because he experienced the silence for me. So that I could speak to you. So that we could enter back into the place where we need to be. This has the power to sustain and fill up the deepest wounds and pains in your life. You've seen it. You've seen it in your own life, and you've seen it in other people's lives. So the question is why would you hallow anything else? Why praise anything else? Nothing else is that loving. No one else is going to get that vulnerable with you. Nothing else is that left field and yet true. Jesus is the key to communication breakdown. Because he says, everyone who desires can be at one with God. And when you're at one with God, you can be open and vulnerable with other people. Because you don't have to hide or perform anymore. And you can just be. Without an agenda. In community. And when that happens, heaven and earth collide. And you become a kaleidoscope of grace, able to enjoy and worship Him forever. All you fathers out there today, um, I want you to think about a couple of things. I want you to think about just for maybe a few moments this afternoon when you're doing whatever you're doing. What if God the Father was so very proud of you at all times? And that that can't change. How how would that inform the way that you walk into work or the way that you walk back into your family's life each moment? Because that's true in Christ. That you were worth that to him let's pray Lord um, we ask that you would be so kind uh, to us as we, as we confess in and as we hear the assurance of uh, pardon and forgiveness and Lord we trust that you are if we just recount the blessings of your sustenance starting when we woke up today um, it, it would be a practice worth doing and that you have sustained our life underneath your sovereign care, and you are happy to do it. And so, Lord, as we move out into the world as mothers or fathers or children, would we remember that you are well? You just you just like us. You enjoy us
0: because you first loved us. We want a love like you